This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Have you heard about the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Program? The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons has partnered with leading experts in the field to bring you Rock, the online learning platform developed for U.S. residency programs. Free to residents, Rock empowers you to build a foundation to prepare you for the OITE and ABOS Part 1 exam. And remember, access to the Rock content is free for residents. Get started at rock.aaos.org. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Neil Dorotho Podcast. You are tuned into our board slash our OITE review series featuring myself and Dr. Spencer Woolwine, and we're continuing on with Hand. We're going to continue on, and we're going to talk some more. Hopefully, you enjoy listening to Dr. Woolwine and myself ramble back and forth, and you learn something, and uh, we will see you all next time, and uh, enjoy the episode. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring Drs. Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. And so what are some of the common nerve transfers and then what are they used for? What are the indications for them? Yeah, so one is going to be the AIN or your anterior interosseous nerve to the ulnar murder nerve fascicles. So again, AIN, which is a motor nerve to the ulna motor nerve fascicles. So any patient that has ulnar motor injuries or loss of their hand intrinsics, that's where you consider this for. So again, AIN to ulnar motor nerve fascicles. They also have the ulnar fascicle of the FCU or the median fascicle to the FCR, so that's the FDS. That can be transferred to the musculocutaneous branches of the biceps. So anybody that has a loss of elbow flexion, we know that this is, again, going to be the musculocutaneous nerve, and we need to figure out a way to get their biceps to work again. So again, that's going to be the ulnar fascicle of the FCU or the median fascicle that goes to the FCR or the FDS. You can transfer that to the musculocutaneous branch of the biceps. Any patient that has shoulder abduction or external rotation loss, you can do a spinal accessory nerve to suprascapular nerve transfer. Again, if you just think about the suprascapular nerve or whatever nerve is, is injured and what those patients will need, you'll figure out if the shoulder abduction and external rotation is lost, that's probably going to be a suprascapular nerve. So you're looking at transferring the spinal accessory nerve. And patients that have loss of wrist and finger extension, so again, PIN injuries, you're looking at transferring the median branch of the FCR or the FCS or the FDS to the PIN. So again, patients that have loss of wrist or finger extension, you're transferring the median branch to the FCR or the FDS to the PIN. And also in patients that have a loss of shoulder flexion, external rotation, or abduction, you're thinking kind of the deltoid muscle, you can transfer the radial branch that goes to the triceps or the median pectoral nerve to the axillary nerve. Again, so if your axillary nerve's out, you're going to print, you're going to transfer the radial nerve, a branch to the triceps or the medial pectoral nerve. If your PIN is out, you can transfer the median branch of the FCR slash FDS tendons over there. If your suprascapular nerve is out, you can transfer your spinal accessory nerve. If your musculocutaneous nerve is out and you can't, again, flex your elbow, you can transfer the ulnar fascicle of the FCU, or you can transfer the median fascicle of the that goes to the FCR or the FDS. You can transfer that to the musculocutaneous nerve. And then 
if you have loss of hand in transit, you can transfer the AIN to the ulnar motor fascicle. I know that's a lot. Hopefully you can remember that or read it and get a question or two right on the exam and also know it for real life too. Now, looking at, we talked about a little bit about nerve transfers. Sometimes patients also undergo uh, tendon transfers. And we talked about principles for nerve transfers. What are some principles for tendon transfers? Yeah, these tendon transfers, they can get fairly involved. Bear with us here, but good things to keep in mind. One is to match the muscle strength. Like we know, force is proportional to the cross-sectional area of the muscles. The greatest force of contraction is exerted when the muscle is at resting length. Motor strength typically decreases one grade after transfer. And so you want to transfer muscles that are already motor grade five, because if you transfer something less than that, they'll go from a five to a four typically. And if you transfer something that's a four, then it'll go from a four out of five to a three out of five, which is pretty dismal. And the morbidity of the tendon transfer itself is probably not or worth the benefit of the tendon transfer. And so you want to match the muscle strength to the tendon transfers and you want to transfer motor grade five. You want to match appropriate excursion and tensioning. And there's something called the Smith 357 rule, which certain muscles have three centimeters of excursion, five centimeters and seven centimeters. Briefly, the three centimeter excursion muscles are going to be your wrist flexors and wrist extensors. The ones with five centimeters of excursion are going to be like the EDC, FPL, and EPL. And then the ones with seven centimeters of excursion are going to be the FDS and FDP. And you can adjust these with the pulley or tenodesis effect. So that's why the seven centimeter excursion are more of the flexor digitorum superficialis and profundus is because you can alter their excursion amount depending on which pulleys are sacrificed at the time of transfer. And then uh, you want to look at some sort of some of the kind of surgical priorities. And some of these priorities are going to be elbow flexion, shoulder stabilization, brachiothoracic pinch. You want to look at sensation, especially in C6 to C7, and then wrist extension and finger flexion are more important than wrist flexion and finger extension. So think we can do more things with a wrist extension and finger flexion, such as grasping, but we don't really care as much about wrist flexion and finger extension because that's, if you're just kind of sitting here listening to this, put your wrist into flexion and then extend your fingers. You don't really ever put your hand in that position while we're doing stuff, it's almost always wrist extension and finger flexion for when we're grasping objects. And so again, some of the basic principles, the donor site must be expendable. One tendon transfer performs one function, synergistic transfers to rehabilitate more easily. And then it's optimal to have as straight of a line of pull to optimize the muscle function as much as possible. That was a lot. Either replay this or right on orthobulls. They have a good section on kind of principles of tendon transfer. You'll get asked this uh, as a resident for sure, most likely on the rounding or in the OR, but sometimes on the OITE. And it's what is the first and last muscle in the forearm innervated by the radial nerve? This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Are you an orthopedic resident? Then you need to know about ROC. It's a new resident orthopedic core knowledge program developed by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. 
Created for U.S. residency programs and free to residents, Rock covers 11 subspecialties and is filled with in-depth, comprehensive content and quizzes that have been authored and vetted by some of the leading experts in orthopedics. This all-in-one curriculum will give you the foundation and knowledge you need to become a successful board-certified orthopedic surgeon. And remember, access to Rock content is free to residents. Get started at rock.aaos.org. Yep. So the first is going to be the brachioradialis, and the last ones are going to be like the EIP and EPL. And I think we might have talked about it before. The way I think about it is like at the total end, at the very end, once they've done a good job and your nerve is, is working right, you're looking at the doc, and you're going to point at them and give them a thumbs up. Like, you're, like they're both working. Like, great job, doc. So that's how I think of it. That's how I remember it. Oh, it's a little silly. But brachioradialis is first and EIP and EPL. Now, I guess what deficits are seen in a High radial nerve, pretty much when I say high radial nerve, I mean proximal to the elbow injury. So if something is considered a high radial nerve or proximal, you're going to lose wrist extension, thumb extension, and finger extension because the radial nerve is already has innervated the triceps. So you'll most likely still have good elbow extension because the triceps are still receiving their innervation. But you're going to see a loss of wrist extension, thumb extension, and finger extension because those are all radial nerve innervated muscles. And then you have a patient, they come to your clinic and they're unable to do these things and their EMG is not promising. What are some of the tendon transfers for a high radial nerve injury? Yeah, think about it. It's typically going to be a donor from the median nerve. So if you are given a question and there's a high radial nerve injury, do not pick the tendon transfer that is also supplied by the radial nerve. It's something that's going to be likely supplied from the median nerve. So this would be like your pronator teres, so your ECRB, that's kind of more in line or in phase, your palmaris longus, so your EPL, and then your ER to your EDC. Pronator teres to ECRB, that kind of make that, I mean, these all kind of make sense when you think about it. Now, what about a low radial nerve injury or you have a radial nerve injury that is distal to the elbow? What are some possible tendon transfers for that? And a lot of these may be the same. Yeah, it, I like that you kind of added some of these things. Like if the test pressure is on or the pressure is on in the OR, if you know that the radial nerve is out and they say that you can automatically like eliminate, oh, you're going to do it, EDC to EPL transfer because both of those are innervated by the radial nerves. Definitely you want to look for ones that are very different from each other because they will try and trick you on that. So for some of these low radial nerve injuries or uh, distal to the elbow, I'm still going to look for palmaris longus to the EPL and the FCP to the EDC or FCR, sorry, to the EDC. And for some of, depending on where the nerve injury is, things like the ECRL and the ECRB innervations, they may still be preserved. And so you may not have to transfer for those injuries because the muscle belly is already uh, innervated. And so they may still have preserved wrist extension, but you may see a loss of finger and thumb extension. So you're going to look for the FCR for the EDC and the palmaris longus for the EPL. Now moving on to a different nerve, proximal to the elbow, median nerve, 
injury? What sort of uh, deficits are seen with that? Yeah, just you know, just think about what the what muscles that the median nerve supplies. So they won't they will lose their thumb IP flexion because that's your FPL. Um, you will lose your index and long finger distal IP flexion from your FDP. Remember, your small ring finger will still be intact because that's going to be your ulnar nerve. You'll also lose your proximal IP flexion in, in all of them because that's your FDS. And you also lose thumb opposition because that's your APB and your opponent's policies. So what are some tendon transfers that can be used for a high median nerve injury? Things that you're going to look for are like brachioradialis to the FPL. To restore thumb opposition, you can do an FDS opponent's plasty, which is the ring finger FDS is wrapped around the FCU and then inserted into the APB. Then the EIP opponent's plasty is when the extensor indices is passed around ulnar and inserted into the APB. So it's kind of wrapped, it has a long way to go where it's wrapped around the ulnar aspect of the arm and inserted into the APB. And then you have the abductor digiti minimi transfer, which it adds muscle bulk to the palm and it improves cosmesis and it's used a lot in Pete's patients. And then you can do a palmaris longus or a camets sort of transfer. And then depending on the type of nerve injury, you can do a an FDP tendon transfer distally if you still have some of the FDP from the ulnar nerve innervating. You can move that over to the long and index FDP as well. It does take a, a little bit of thinking about all of this stuff and which muscles are innervated by which nerve, but it does make sense when they present it in the question. And so now moving on to the ulnar nerve, what are some of the deficits seen in the ulnar nerve injury? Yep. So you're going to have your loss of your FCU. You're going to have your loss of your FDP of your little and ring finger that we talked about a little bit earlier. And also you're going to lose your hand intrinsics. And then just a little quick bit, your loss of your hand intrinsics leads to little finger abduction due to the pull of the extensor digiti minimi, which is called the Wattenberg sign. So again, you lose your hand intrinsics and your extensor digiti minimi is unopposed and you get small finger abduction and that is the Wattenberg sign. I've seen that sign described in a question stem before. So that's just good to know that. Now, what may be seen with low ulnar nerve injuries? We just talked about a high ulnar nerve injury. Now, what about a low? Yeah, so a low ulnar nerve injury is when you're going to see the clawing of the little and ring fingers because there's an intrinsic paralysis with preserved FDP to the small and little fingers. So there's going to be clawing there. And it's more one of the, I think it's, gosh, I can't remember what the eponym for it is, but it's like you're giving a blessing. So there's going to be clawing of the little and ring fingers. And what are some of the possible tendon transfers for a high or proximal to the elbow ulnar nerve injury? Yeah, it's similar to what we were talking about a little bit earlier with the high median nerve injury. With this ulnar injury, you can tenodes the FDP to the long and index fingers. So that'll kind of help give you that because, you know, you have the ulnar nerve injury, but the FDP is dual innervated to the different fingers. And then your FCU, it may cause some weakness, but typically you don't really have 
like much like your FCR is still functional, right? Because your flexor carpi ulnaris flexes the wrist, but you also have your FCR, which flexes the wrist. So you may not really need a tendon transfer for the FCU because your FCR still is functioning. So it'll just be a little weak, but you don't necessarily need a tendon transfer. So that's a high ulnar nerve injury. Now, what about our low ulnar nerve injury where you talked a little bit about earlier that you still have clawing of those fingers because you have the paralysis, but your FDP to the small and uh, little fingers are, are preserved as we get that clawing from. So what are some possible tendon transfers for a low ulnar nerve injury? Yeah, so you can do an FDS split to the lateral band so you get some intrinsic function. You can have an ECRB to the adductor pollicis so that you can get uh, some adduction. And then you can also consider an EPL or an EIP tendon transfer for index finger abduction. It's not commonly performed because it's not absolutely necessary function of the hand. You definitely want to restore some of the other intrinsics, but if the index finger abduction is needed, you can do a kind of an EPL or an EIP tendon transfer to that radial aspect of the index finger to help with index finger abduction. We hope that you all enjoyed this episode. We hope that you all learned something listening to uh, Dr. Woolwine and myself ramble. And uh, without further ado, hit the subscribe button if you have not already. And we will see you all in the next episode. Enjoy it.